0: Welcome to the first episode of Beyond the Bowie. My name is Captain Zach, and the song that you just listened to was called Work Me Slow by the Grizzled Mighty. Uh, Since it's my show, I'm just going to put whatever I want as the intro music and kind of run with it. I think I'm going to cycle it through, different song, different artist, different style, never know. But um, without further ado, I'm going to introduce to you Captain Jake Curley of JC's Offshore Tackle and Giacomo Fishing. In this episode, we discussed how he got started, where he is going for the future, and things that he did and learned throughout owning and operating those two companies. So without further ado, Captain Jake Curley. All right, welcome to the inaugural and first episode of Beyond the Buoy with captain jake Curley. captain jake curly and i met in uh, uri we were in several classes together and now we are actually now graduated and talking a little bit about how jake got started in the sport fishing industry how he got started making tackle and i'd like to introduce captain jake curly what's going on jake
1: uh not too much um i'm captain jake obviously as Zach stated Um, yeah, I'm happy to be here.
0: (laughs) As I stated, this is Sir Captain Jake Curley, all right? Not to, Mm -hmm. not to go any way away from that. Um, so Jake, you own, uh, what do you own? You own JC's Offshore Tackle, and you also own Giacomo Sportfishing, um, which is a tackle company and sport fishing company located in Falmouth, Massachusetts, right?
1: Yep. Yep. Um, and I mean, I don't know where you want to start, but we can start as far back as, you know, how I even got into fishing. If that works.
0: Yeah. Let's go, let's go from the beginning, I guess, right? And so, you know, growing up in Falmouth, Massachusetts, and I know you've kind of bounced around in Mass a little bit, but for the most part, you know, you always vacation and then eventually started living there. Um, you know, how did you kind of get the love for fishing and how's that kind of brought you to what you're doing today?
1: Um, yeah. So we, we always, my family and I always um, summered here in the Cape. Uh, we didn't move here full-time until probably 2016 or so. Um, but the whole fishing thing started with my dad. Uh, he caught the bug for it in his mid forties. Um, you know, had the money to buy a boat, all the tackle and whatnot, and kind of jumped in with both feet. Um, honestly, without without knowing the ropes, um, taught himself a lot learned from some other guys um, and then you know, once I got to well I guess I wasn't even that old I was probably 8 years old when I did my first 100 plus mile offshore canyon trip um, but yeah the, the fishing bug caught him and soon after caught me when I was old enough to get out there with him
0: so at 8 years old you were already going 100 miles offshore you know that's kind of crazy right like For an eight-year-old, like, if you think about that, right? Do you know what kind of boat it was?
1: Um, I think the first trip I probably did was on our 33 Hydra Sports. Um, my dad always had a center console, um, and then he bought a, I believe, a 40 Ocean Sportfish, Ocean Mm -hmm. Yachts, um, and then after that, a 45, um. But, yeah, the first trip, I think, I was probably offshore fishing with him probably since five or six years old, shark fishing and whatnot. Um, but did my first canyon run at eight with them, which is definitely, definitely really young. Um, even as a charter captain now, I probably wouldn't bring an eight-year-old with me. <laughs> yeah, exactly,
0: um, exactly. Yeah, I mean, but, and, and then so you catch the bug and you're kind of off to the races and at what point were you like all right let me you know let me take the keys dad and you know take the boat out by myself
1: um honestly I think he was the one who more pushed me out on my own and kind of said you know just just go with it take it um I think honestly it's kind of bad to say but probably 13 14 years old the 33 Hydra Sports. he was like take it out you know he knew i was he knew i knew the ropes at that point already um i'd been driving the the 40 and the 45 ocean and even the center consoles at a very young age um so i was you know already comfortable with driving the boat and whatnot um so i also kind of just jumped in with both feet and started taking it out in the vineyard sound and bass fishing fluke fishing and whatnot close to home yeah um and then and then down the road i um i convinced him that it would be a good idea for me to get my captain's license and i could you know monetize the the boat that just sits on the dock because most boats are you know a money pit where you're just pouring money into it and i said hey i could probably turn a profit on that um and, you know, he thought it was a good idea. He backed me, got my got my captain's license at 18 at, uh, at Mass Maritime, um, night classes while still at, uh, at Tabor Academy. Um, so a lot going on, but got it done. And, and uh, I think that was probably the, the time when I realized that, you know, I really had the love for fishing and captaining and whatnot and, uh, and wanted to, you know, turn it into a job and a lifestyle.
0: Oh, absolutely. And so you get your captain's license what you must have been around what eighteen or so 18, I think 18? I was
1: actually seventeen and a half actually when I took the classes um that way I could send all the paperwork in when I was eighteen um, and you know, just from fishing with my dad and whatnot, I had so much so many hours um I got my my fifty ton at eighteen. Um, and I'm actually up for renewal right now because they're five years. So I'm 22, going on 23, and in the process of upgrading to 100 right now.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 100 ton. I mean, as you know, the more tonnage you have on your on your ticket, the more likely you can get. You know, obviously you're doing the charters and whatnot, but you know, if you wanted to do some sort of deliveries or anything like that on the side, you could, you know, certainly do that. So.
1: Yep. Exactly. Um,
0: Cool. So what, um, so you, you have a hydrosport, you start running that and then you jump right into, which was the next boat. And what was that boat? That was the yellowfin, right?
1: Yep. That was a, a 36 yellowfin. Um, I honestly didn't even know my dad was buying that boat. He, I came home from school one day and said, Hey, we're, we got a 30 fin. And I was like, "What?" He's like, yep. Um, it'll be here. And, june and um you'll have your license by then and start running charters
0: man that is not too shabby to go from the hydrosport definitely wasn't (laughs) expecting that but (laughs) no no, not even a little bit that's a pretty sweet thing to come home from school to um so you start running the elephant and at what point did it actually become like jackamo sport fishing because you know as a captain i feel like a lot of the times you kind of start doing you know guiding so to speak or you know taking one or two people out maybe a guy was like hey do you know anyone i can go fishing with and you're like hey yeah just come on with me but at what point were you like all right let's like let's actually make this a thing you know like get the llc get the whole you know go through the the whole process
1: yeah i mean i think the the whole business idea behind it just honestly from my mom's perspective just because she's a very business oriented woman um she had that vision for it from the beginning um and so did i but um i think the first year we only did like four or five charters um that was actually mostly because the boat was supposed to be there in in june or july and didn't get delivered till i think Mm mid-august so we ran a handful of charters at the end of the year which were honestly like my cousins their friends um you know just very close to home word of mouth type clients um and then the next season was the the first full season running charters and still i mean you know it's a a small business slow start type deal um you know like everything and probably still maybe the next year only had 10-15 charters um which actually was was a good thing because it helped me or allowed me to um you know go out and fish on different boats and and learn more from other captains and really just keep gaining experience
0: yeah and like not only that but kind of like scaling you know like if you if all of a sudden you have a boat and you're going from not doing any charters or four or five charters to now you have you know back-to-back triples like for, for seven days straight yeah that's gonna run you like that's gonna run you dry and i'm sure like throughout the summer i'm sure you you have that but like on a day-to-day basis what do you think um like what does that look like you know, like from the day you wake, the time you wake up to like the, the end of a, of a full day of chartering, like what does that timeline look like?
1: Um, definitely busy. Um, I, I'd say the majority of our charters are, are inshore half day trips. So we're leaving the dock at eight, getting back at noon. Um, we'll usually have one in the morning, one in the afternoon. So 8 a.m. to noon and then 1 p.m. to, uh, to five. So it's a busy day. Wake up around 6, um, load the boat up, meet the clients there around 7.30, 7.45, get all their stuff squared away on the boat, um, go out for a trip, um, come back. I have a mate on the boat always. Um, he'll come back, clean the fish for you, get you all squared away, and get that group out of there and then move on to the next one, turn the boat around quick, clean it up um fuel ice food everything mm-hmm. um and then get out there for the next four hours back to the dock by five and uh that's when the the real fun begins for me at least because these are you know very nice boats so we we keep them in you know top-notch condition and after a full eight hours of of fishing in a day we probably have a solid three to four hours of cleaning at the end of it Wow. Um, yeah. So on, on a, du- on a double day, we're not getting done till eight, nine o'clock at night.
0: Yeah. Easily, easily. Cause I mean, you know, that doesn't discount anything like, you know, f- going getting fuel and stuff like that on those days. So, you know, those hours add up. Um, so I'm sure there's nights that you don't come back in till like, you know, 10, 11 o'clock.
1: Um, oh yeah, for sure. And those are the inshore trips. That's the, that's honestly the easy, the easy stuff. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, it starts getting real, real tiring with the offshore trips. Right. I mean, I know you
0: told me stories of like, you know, leaving at three and then not getting back until like, you know, the next morning at the, you know, you're out there for 20 plus hours or even days, right? Like sometimes you guys will actually sleep mm-hmm. on the boat.
1: Yeah. So for our offshore trips, we run either day trips or overnight trips to the canyons. And the, uh, the canyons, just to put it in perspective, that's um, roughly a hundred to hundred and forty miles um, directly south of Martha's Vineyard. Um, it's the edge, the end of our continental shelf, uh, where the water drops for or the depth drops from around 600 feet all the way down to two, three, four, five thousand feet deep. Um, the easiest way to put it in perspective is imagine the, the Grand Canyon underwater. Um, and that's, that's where we're fishing. So those trips, there's a lot of, a lot of running hours, the boats fast, but you know, when you're going hundred miles, it still takes three, four hours to get out there, um, each way. And for the day trips, we'll leave at midnight, actually. That way we can get out there for sunrise. So we'll get there for, you know, three 34, four in the morning. Um, cause we're taking it slow on the way out. you For safety purposes you don't want to hit anything going fast at night um don't want to take any chances on that front no but um get get out there fish all day yeah (laughs) not not pretty no but um you want to get out there fish all day and then we'll probably leave around three four in the afternoon get back around six seven o'clock at night clean the fish up get that group out of there and um in the heat of the summer when we have you know really good fishing conditions in the canyons we'll be running these trips back to back so we'll get that group out of there by eight o'clock at night um clean the boat up and those trips are are where it gets really tricky with fuel ice bait all of that because we're putting another four or five hundred gallons of fuel back in the boat five six seven hundred pounds of ice um and then re rig all the baits, all the tackle. Um, so really, we we don't sleep on those uh, on those trips. No, um, yeah, that's a and that's a day trip.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's um, not even overnight. Like,
1: that's, yeah, yeah.
0: That's a long day. And I guess uh, from like you know running boats myself and being out here in Hawaii, like there's uh, a friend of mine, Blaine, who put it so nicely was, like, every day you wake up and you have, like, a smile meter, you know? And at the beginning of the day, mm-hmm. like, you're full. Like, you know, you, you greet the customers and you're, you're happy and whatnot. And, you know, by the end of the day, like, you still have to be on full. You know what I mean? Like, you can't oh, yeah. dip For or sure. dive. So, like, those long days of you being with customers and – because essentially you're an entertainer, right? You're not just a captain. Exactly. You're not just a fisherman. Yeah you're you're entertainment mm-hmm. that's why people are paying you so it, you mm-hmm. can't be grumpy or grouchy you have to be on it like 24 700 you know 365 like always having that smile always being you know upfront and personal with that person whether or not you care um but it's just like the name of it's just the name of this game you know um mm-hmm. so he always called it the smile meter and i'm sure like you know, that it wavers a little bit. Right. But I mean, you know, knowing you and your clientele, um, you've obviously shown that you can, you can do back to backs and provide an awesome and excellent service to, you know, higher end clientele, you know?
1: Yep. A lot of, a lot of Red Bull. That's a lot of Red to Bull. say the least. Yeah. A lot of Red Bull. Yeah. Um, I'm
0: more of a white monster guy, but you know,
1: <laughs> but yeah, no. And, um, I mean, the, just to keep that going right there, the the offshore trips, um, just to lay out the day for those, we're leaving around 8 a.m. so we can leave uh, you know, with some sunlight, easier ride down, um, can go a little faster, don't have to worry too much, um, get out there maybe midday, around noon, a little earlier, um, troll all day for tuna, and then the overnight trips, we'll, we'll plan around If it's either a sword fishing bite or a tuna bite, if it's a tuna bite, we're going to be, you know, chunking for for yellowfin and big eye overnight, which is basically just taking flats of what are called butterfish. They're small four or five inch fish that we chop up into nice small pieces and just keep a a steady trail of those behind the boat while we're drifting. Um, And then, you know, obviously put hooks in a few of them. Um, so that's a long night too, because you're you're up all night because you're fishing. You can't be sleeping. um Let the clients sleep, and when you're hooked up, wake them up and get them on a fish. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And
0: like, are there any moments that kind of stick out to you of you know you being out there and you know waking a client up, and all of a sudden you know the rod drops and you know you hear the the whine of the reel go out, and like, what is that like? What's one moment that kind of sticks with you? Because I know you've had a few, so.
1: Yeah, I mean honestly I think every trip's different and the one thing that stays the same is just that feeling you get when you hear the line start peeling off the reel no matter what time of day it is. Obviously it's nicer when you've been up all night and you've been waiting for that. Um but yeah, I mean there's there's no better feeling than, you know, putting in 8 hours of work to hear that reel start screaming. Oh, absolutely. Um,
0: and, and I especially,
1: mean, especially to see the, the smile on your client's face when they, when they can finally get on a rod and, and start fighting the real, a real fish. Yeah. hundred um, percent. These aren't stripers, you know?
0: No, no. I mean, you're catching like, you're catching big eye, bluefin. Um, you don't do, do you do any sword fishing?
1: Not yep, really. yep. You do? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, later in the season on the overnight trips is when we'll, we'll target the, the sword fish a little more heavily. Um. And basically for those, we're running three, four rods at a time, um, still drifting and just covering the water column. So we'll have a bait down, you know, 300 feet, 200 feet, 100 feet, and one up top around 50, 60 feet. Right. Um.
0: Now, recently, and, I know... You that...
1: know, same thing. You can't sleep because especially... Mm-hmm.
0: No, go ahead. Go ahead. Continue. Go on. <laughs>
1: no. I was just going to say... Uh, It's the same thing with, you know, you can't, you can't sleep. You can't sleep on it because you miss that one bite and, you know, you put in all that hard work for, for that one fish and just to see it, just to reel in a bait that has no, a hook that has no bait on it, you know, that's a lot worse than, you know, getting a couple hours of sleep.
0: Oh, yeah. Now, do you think it, is it, I mean, you get the feeling, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll be fighting the fish all day, all day, and then all of a sudden you get to the boat and you lose it. Like, that, oh, yeah. you know, that feeling or the feeling of just waiting around and not catching anything, you know, I mean, those moments on the boat, like, what, how do you deal with that, you know, because I'm sure you've been out there with customers and maybe it's not, maybe you have a killer day, like a few, what was it, last year you went, like, for on, you know, seven out of seven on Big Eye or something like that, right?
1: Yep. Yep. I mean, it's fishing, you know, it's, it's almost like you're playing the lottery out there. Um, there's a lot of luck involved, but you know, preparation and persistence is definitely what's, what, uh, you know, gives you the upper hand compared to a lot of boats. Um, I mean, for example, on basically what you were talking about with the whole catching everything and then catching nothing. Um, we had three back to back Canyon trips this summer, all day trips, um, the first two trips were honestly some of the best trips I've ever had to the canyons. Um, one of them, we caught 18 yellowfin tuna from 40 to 80 pounds all on spinning rods. They were up on top like stripers, just jumping out of the water, eating baits, um, which was probably one of the coolest experiences I've had. Uh, obviously, the charter. And just things that you don't really see out there a lot, um, and being able to show guys that have never been to the canyons and and being able to give them that experience was awesome. Um, and the third trip rolls around, and we're headed out in the morning, and the guys are like, "Hey, yeah, is this going to be like? How's it been? Is the fishing good?" And you know, I kind of say what I always say: it's fishing. You know, it varies, but um, just based off what we've been seeing the past few days um it should be pretty good we go out and we uh we got there for for sun up and we troll from probably five in the mor four or five in the morning till three o'clock in the afternoon and didn't have a single tuna bite didn't see one didn't mark one no bait no birds nothing um and that was obviously devastating to not just me, but the, the charter themselves. Um, and, you know, kind of trying to explain that to him is hard, but, um, in that specific case, I actually, uh, I offered the guys, a not a free trip, but it was a trip on my dad's boat that we did. Um, a couple months later, I asked the the guy who booked it and his son to, to come out with us and, you know, no expenses, obviously just come out and i wanted to show them what the canyons were really like and, and what we could do um we took them out to the canyons we caught a white marlin a swordfish um a bunch of yellowfin you know it was an awesome trip and they got to really you know taste what the canyons were all about and hopefully there'll be some repeat customers for life um i just didn't want to leave them with the you know a skunk trip and a bad impression you know
0: oh yeah totally i mean um But that kind of speaks a lot towards your brand, you know, Um, going that extra mile to make sure that, you know, your customers are taken care of. And even if it doesn't go great, you're still going to take that, you know, extra step, you know, and go above and beyond as to, you know, what you can offer and show them, you know. Um, Yeah, exactly. So, I mean.
1: Because in my eyes, that was a lost client, you know. That oh, is somebody, 100%. They, They're not. They're not coming back when you when you take three grand from them and don't catch anything, right? You know?
0: Right. I mean, because no matter how much you can explain to someone, like, hey, like this is fishing, not catching. You know, these are wild animals. They're gonna do what they want to do, no matter what. People still, you know, they expect the expectation is there, um, especially if they know that, hey, if you they go on your Instagram, they see all these yellowfin and. All these fish that have been caught on your boat, like they, they're, they, that expectation is set pretty high, you know, as it should be, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely.
0: So I guess let's talk. Let's kind of shift a little bit and talk about like your your brand, right? Because obviously it's a little bit more high end. I know now you're not on the on the yellowfin anymore. You guys did a little bit of an upgrade to a, what is it, the thirty nine Invincible, right?
1: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, we did that mostly because of the fuel, uh, fuel capacity for the canyons. It's a bigger boat. It's a foot wider, three feet longer, um, holds 200 more gallons of fuel. Um, which just really gives us the ability to, to fish anywhere. And if we're out in the canyons and we hear of a bite 50 miles away, we can still run there and be fine on fuel. Um, and you know, give our, give our clients the the full experience
0: yeah right now what's your what's your opinion on the invincible so far i mean i know you haven't been running it as long as a yellowfin but to go from the yellowfin and then the invincible like do you see any differences there or like the ease of use the maneuverability just having the clients on board like what are the what are some key differences you see and like what do you um enjoy most about it so far
1: yeah, that's a question I get a lot, especially from my clients, because they know we went from the the Yellowfin to the Invincible. Um, honestly, I think when you get to that that high performance class of center consoles, like Yellowfin, Invincible, uh, excuse me, CV, um, those those high end center consoles, the the boats kind of speak for themselves, and they're just you know, it's a it's a luxury item, a high high ticket item, and they uh, they ride awesome um, handle you know I'd say I'd say the ride is pretty comparable um, between all the boats uh, in that bracket but uh, we just kind of fell into that boat um, in particular um, I I don't think I really have a bias you know between yellowfin or invincible yeah so um, you're.
0: I you're think just, they kind of
1: just speak for themselves, you know?
0: Right, right. And I think you're right. I mean, a lot of these, you know, people can get really nitpicky about boats these days. And, you know, there's there's different classes, you know. That you have the production boats. You have something like a, like a semi-custom, like the Invincible or the Elephant. And then you have, you know, something like a custom, you know, something such mm-hmm. as a, a Tribute. Or, or... even
1: on the lower end, like a... Yeah, even like a the lower end, like a Grady White. Like, that's where you can really really make the the argument one way or the other you know
0: yeah like right
1: brady white's uh it's a non-stepped hull boat it's not a high performance boat it doesn't give you great fuel numbers um doesn't doesn't go crazy fast uh it's not necessarily set up solely for fishing it's kind of a, a family boat and a fishing boat right um and I think you know for our clientele and for what we do running a 100 plus miles the the high performance center consoles just you know they're they're in a league of their own and they speak for themselves for for that application for sure
0: yeah and I mean and having that boat on the Cape um, especially in Falmouth you're you're one of the only guys on the Cape that has that type of boat or that class of boat and um, you guys draw a a more of a higher-end crowd you know, um, and you can you can kind of demand a price range that maybe some other charter companies can't. Um, but you also have some other things going on that I think kind of um, solidifies your brand a little bit more, so you can almost demand that price. You know, like for instance, I like what we're going to talk mm-hmm. about next is JC's offshore tackle. You know, like you're you're fishing on an awesome boat using awesome equipment. And a lot of the equipment you're actually building and manufacturing, you know? Um, so tell me a little bit more about, you know, how you're, you've been integrating your brands and even discuss more on JC's offshore tackle as well, you know, and how that kind of came about.
1: Yeah. So um, I'd say, yeah, definitely JC's offshore tackle plays a big role in Jack sport board fishing. Um, especially in the offshore side of things, just because JC's offshore tackles, a a manufacturer of, um, like, specialized tuna fishing gear. Um, and honestly, for Jason's Offshore Tackle, the way I put it for most of my products is I sell what I fish. Um, so all the gear that I'm using on these these offshore tuna trips, um, I make myself um, spreader bars, dredges, daisy chains. Um, I know those sound pretty crazy to most people, and most people probably don't know what those are. But, um, essentially, for example, a spreader bar is, uh, it's a thin rod of titanium that has 14 squids, artificial squids hanging from it. Um, and when you tow it behind the boat, it resembles, uh, a school of squid similar to, to that of what the tuna are chasing. Um, and behind that, it has what's called a stinger. It's just a little bit larger squid, different color usually, and weighted, um, and that's what the the tune will kind of lock onto when they see it from below. They'll come up and hit that one, and you're tight. You reel it in. Um, but, bada
0: bing, bada boom. That's how. You, that's just how you do it with JCU's <laughs> offshore tackle. You know, they just they, they got yep. fish magnets in them, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But um. So, but yeah, I mean, if you, if you want.
0: obviously it takes a little bit to you know learn how to build tackle and, you know, know what a daisy chain is in a spreader bar. And like, how did you go from fishing with your dad and, you know, eventually getting to your own boat to manufacturing your own tackle? Like what's the backstory behind that? Cause I know there's, it is kind of a cool one. So you know, if you want to fill us in a little bit on that.
1: Yeah. So the, uh, the tackle side of things actually started, um, a few years before the chartering, um, I I didn't have a summer job. Um, I was 14 years old, you know, getting to the age where I, I wanted to start working instead of just, you know, screwing around in the summer. Um, and I didn't want to go the, the normal route and go, you know, cut lawn, that kind of thing. Um, and my dad had a friend who owned a tackle company that was called Offshore Innovations in Falmouth. Um which he basically made the same things, um, dredges, daisy chains, all that kind of stuff. Um, at the time I had really no experience with that, but, um, my dad made the introduction. Um, the guy's name was Kevin Glenn, um, and made the introduction, asked him if, you know, he would be up to have a helper for the summer. And, you know, the first summer I basically went in there and just, learned about, uh, the different things he was building, what they're used for, um, and a little bit on how to make them, but it was honestly a lot of cleaning, a lot of putting stickers on bags and, you know, the odds and ends stuff. All um, the fun stuff. And then, exactly, um, stuff that builds character.
0: Yeah, of course,
1: of but, course. But, um, the next few summers after that, I, uh, I started actually building the tackle with him. Um, you know, taught me so much. Um, I worked for him for four summers, four or five summers. Um, I think till I was about 16 or 17. Mm -hmm. Um, at what point he unfortunately passed away from, from colon cancer. Um, it was super unexpected, came out of the blue. Um, no one saw it coming. Young guy, he was 38 years old. Um, and he was sad he, story, but, yeah, um, and
0: it's, it's super sad, but he was actually pretty innovative in, um, the tackle industry, right? I know you remember you saying maybe, yeah. um, talking about like sail fishing and, uh, bringing certain types of techniques to Cape Cod and certain types of, uh, manufacturing techniques as well. Um, anything you want to maybe yeah kind of pinpoint in there?
1: House yeah well more. that's that, that sail fishing story just kind of me up. that was a funny one. Uh, um uh, fishing for sailfish where they put up um basically it started as putting up a you know homemade kite up into the air attached to a to a fishing rod and then you'd have three other fishing rods that would attach to the line in between that rod and the kite and it would go up to the kite, down to the water, and have a bait. And it's meant to, to keep the bait right on the surface. So the sailfish would come up, see the bait, kind of distressed on the surface. It couldn't swim down. It couldn't swim away, um, making a lot of noise. The sailfish would come up, eat the bait, break off the line that it was connected to on the kite, and you're on. Um, reel it in. So he brought that same, same idea up to the cape um, for bluefin tuna fishing. And he would always tell me stories about how he would be out east of Chatham fishing for bluefin and have his kite up in the air. And all these other boats would be trolling or drifting baits around him and kind of just looking at him funny, having no idea what he was doing. Um, And he said there was like a week-long stretch where nobody caught any fish um, on the troll or on live baits. And he was the only one he was catching fish every single day, every day, no um, way,
0: yeah, interesting,
1: um, and all the boats were literally trolling circles around him, like what is this guy doing um yeah, I'm then, sure he was
0: I'm sure he was well liked at that time as he's yeah, the only yeah. guy catching fish,
1: exactly, everybody's asking questions, everyone's wondering what he's doing, um, and then. Sure enough, people start bringing out their their kids' homemade kites, flying them up in the air, trying to mimic what he's doing. Yeah, you see uh, Dora,
0: Flora get... fly by, you know, off of the yep, off of a Viking or something crazy. Yeah, yep,
1: exactly. Um, and then probably a month or so of this goes by, and everybody around him is flying kites until the first day that there was no wind, and everybody was like, "Oh shit, how do I get my kite up in the air?" and they couldn't because there's no wind. Um, sure enough Kevin being the uh, the tricky little guy he was brings out his helium tank, fills up a balloon, straps <laughs> it to the back of his kite and up it goes. Of and course. now everyone's getting now everyone's getting really really pissed <laughs> and they're they're tro- they're trolling again because they couldn't get their kites up in the air. They're trolling around them looking through their uh, binoculars up at his kite like what is this guy doing? So he he took a big magic marker, drew a giant middle finger right on the balloon. Nice, and just to put on a show for everybody. But <laughs> you um, slide yep, on, that was Kevin. just the guy he was. That was just the guy he was. Innovative, crafty, and always catching fish. And but always um, making
0: sure he can stick it to the other guy a little bit. Just just to be, let it be known. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. That's yep, awesome.
1: Yeah. So, but um, yeah, and in the short time I worked for him, I definitely, you know, learned a ton. And, um, that's, you know, what drove me to kind of continue his legacy and and take it, uh, take on a form of its own under, uh, JC's offshore tackle after he passed away. Yeah. And
0: that's, that's a really cool story. And, you know, Kevin seems like he was innovative, kind of had the entrepreneurial spirit and, um, just a all around interesting guy. So, at, at which point you go on to continue his legacy and now you're continuing it today to where you're building spreader bars, um, daisy chains, and you got some cedar plugs I saw on, on your website too. Um, is there anything else that's kind of going on in the background? And what does it also look like to, to build a spreader bar? Like, What are the steps and sourcing your products from China and getting and, and so on and so forth?
1: Yeah. So, um, basically I, I worked with his wife, um, Rachel who, who helped me, you know, kind of get off the ground with the whole thing, introducing me to, to all their wholesale, um, wholesale clients and and whatnot, where they would buy their products from. Um, and I have a, a Chinese supplier who, who makes a lot of my stuff for me. Um, just the individual squids. And honestly, from the beginning, I really wanted to keep everything in the U S. Um, and the only thing I couldn't keep in the U S was this one specific type of squid, which was the green machine. Um, not even solely based off price point. It was honestly due to quality, which I was genuinely surprised about, that the the Chinese manufacturers were making a better product than, than I could find in the U S. Um, And obviously at a better price but um, that's that's my only only Chinese um, component to my spreader bars and then everything else is is locally sourced in the US Um, I use other types of squid which are called uh, shell squid that I get from North Carolina Um, buy all my terminal tackle like crimps line um, chafe gear hooks and all that stuff from uh, from a company down in Florida um and then yeah it's more it's a lot of assembly so i just buy the components um i have a shop here in my basement that you know i've put in a lot of long hours or just uh assembling these things and and then um selling them but um i'd say most recently for jc's offshore attack I, my biggest accomplishment would be landing web as a wholesale account and so now I have products from uh, Maine all the way to South Florida in um, most of the West Marine stores. Wow, that's um, awesome, which has been a, a really good relationship and, and helped JC's offshore tackle uh, you know get to the next level.
0: Yeah, that's no easy feat. I mean getting into a store, like getting into local tackle shops isn't the hardest thing in the world, but something like West Marine now that's that's pretty legit, mm-hmm. you know That's no joke. Like everyone, I'm sure everyone knows West Marine's name, even if you're not into boating, you know? So.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I I think we kind of went about it in a crafty way. Um, We always had the idea that we wanted to be in West Marine. Um, And from the beginning, it was just kind of a hard process because we were told we had to go through a distributor, which was a company called Big Rock out of uh, the Carolinas mm-hmm. and we spent months and months and months talking back and forth with them about um, getting our products in West Marine and, and their other their other stores um, but the, the biggest issue I ran into is scaling. Um, they wanted me to you know be able to make a thousand units on demand within a week and you know making all of this stuff by hand in my basement myself. Um, I just knew that, A, it wasn't what I wanted to do, um, cause I'd have to invest all of my time into that. I wouldn't be able to run charters. Um, and so we kind of took a step back, rethought, regrouped, and, um, tried to come at it a different way. Uh, we, we ended up dealing directly with West Marine, um, and were able to, to get into a lot of stores through manager buys. Um, where we just contact the manager of the West Marine um, and they can make the, you know, executive decision whether or not the product would be a good fit for their store.
0: Interesting, Um, interesting. I actually, I kind of like that better, you know, in a way. Yeah,
1: no, it it worked a lot. It worked out a lot better for us, definitely.
0: Yeah, and not only just because obviously you're able to get in, but, you know, you're kind of focusing in on stores that work, Rather than just kind of shotgun approach to it all, you know, and just having everything just go in, you can really pick and choose like the areas that you know, such like South Florida. I know you fish a lot in Miami. Well, a lot of you know people in Miami are going to be using your spreading bars and daisy chains versus you know guys that are maybe fishing in you know a different part of the United States that are targeting different species differently, you know. Um, yeah. So. Exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. Um,
1: so Yeah, and that's kind of the, the current state of JC's offshore tackle, I'd say.
0: Yeah. Right. Right, right, right. So in kinda coming to a close here in a little bit, what do you what do you see for the future of both JC's Jackamo sport fishing and, you know, whatever else you have going on and, you know, how they're kinda gonna intertwine in some ways and in other ways kind of come apart a little bit?
1: Um, yeah. Uh, honestly, there's so many ideas in my head um, on different directions I could go, you know, from, from scaling JC's offshore tackle to scaling Giacomo's sport fishing. Um, you know, I think for for JC's at least, I want to, you know, kind of keep on the track that I'm going not get too crazy with it. I don't want to, you know, blow it too far out of proportion if I'm not ready. Um, I think the, the West Marines and whatnot are, are a really good step up in the for me and, you know, build up a solid base of, of clients, um, recurring orders and whatnot. Um, and then for, for Giacomo, um, you know, kind of just keep hitting it the way we're doing it We're, i think we did 76 chargers last summer in three months um and you know we're we're on track to to do more this coming summer so um i think we're just going to keep rolling with we got with what we got going um you know down the road maybe add a few more boats to the fleet hire some captains and um you know really blow it up but um yeah you know is there any other too far ahead (laughs)
0: yeah and you know you want to scale you know to a certain at a certain rate too you know like you said you can't you can't get too far ahead of yourself before you have that foundation built you know um any Mm -hmm. any different techniques in terms of like marketing and um how you're going to go about really taking jc's and or jackamu to the next level
1: um i mean the kind of what I was saying with the tackle thing um you know I just don't want to get too far ahead of myself with that I think there's obviously a lot of potential for online sales and you know social media marketing and whatnot to to promote that and I think there's definitely some real potential in the um the online side of things um and then you know I don't know I've always been told it's kind of a funny thing I've always been told with the the tackle um once you once you get that to a certain size you can't fish anymore it's either make tackle or go fishing and you kind of got to make a choice so we'll see um i think the fishing is definitely more of my passion Mm -hmm. than the actual manufacturing of the tackle so even if it were a situation where I phased out the tackle or you know brought it to a certain point and sold the company and and really focused hard on the the sport fishing side of things um I think that's something I'd be happy with down the road too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, Jake, I mean, your companies and what you've done so far at, you know, 22, you know, going on to be 23 is, you know, it speaks fathoms as to who you are as a person and what kind of work ethic you have and the the support system that you have behind you. And, um, I just, you know, I'm glad to know you and have you as a friend and to have lived with you and, gone through school, it, it's, uh, it's always a pleasure and I'm glad you can kind of ring in the, the first episode of Beyond the Buoy. So hoping, hoping for more episodes awesome. and maybe, maybe have you back on the show and do like a little update as to where you are and where you're at within the next year or so.
1: Yeah, great. Well, I was, uh, more than happy to be, be your first guest and, um, I think you're going to do really well with this and, uh, yeah Take it pretty far. So, good luck, Zach. Awesome. (laughs) All right,
0: Jake. Well, I will catch you on the flip flop. And with that, thanks. Catch you
1: later, man. All right. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Well, thank you
0: guys for sticking around to the last part of the show. Um, If you are still there, um, stay tuned for a little bit more. Uh, I just want to thank you guys for staying with us. And if you would like to, leave us a review. Positive feedback's always appreciated. Um, negative feedback is too, but email me those, alright? You can email us at Beyond the Buoy po- Beyond the Buoys Podcast. Buoys plural um, at gmail.com. You can also check us out online or like, share, subscribe. We have an Instagram, Facebook is coming soon. And uh, yeah. And just bear with us. The this is a new show, this is new for me, so any maybe flow of the conversation, the, the audio quality, that's all going to be improved upon as we grow and more opportunity pre- presents itself. So just bear with us. First episode. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, have a great rest of your day. Thanks.